0: Presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is up, podcast? This is your favorite podcast host, John Gabriel, on your favorite podcast, the king of stuff. Thanks for joining. Thanks also to Beam and American Music Supply. They are uh, sponsoring this episode. Thanks for that. You'll hear more about them later. Um, have a wonderful guest, and uh, it's a gentleman that I met when I was at the Lincoln Fellowship, which I've mentioned a time or two on this podcast. Uh, claremont institute about a week and a half of um, a whole bunch of reading and uh, research and study and listening to fantastic lectures and uh, matt peterson was one of those who really made an impact he has a fantastic new podcast there are links in the show notes a little bit about him he's the co-founder of New Founding and uh, president of newfounding media he's also the publisher of return Uh, which is a pretty fascinating publication and community that brings together all those who want to harness technology for the sake of human flourishing. He's also the president of Firebrand Super PAC, uh, making some uh, pretty kick-butt ads and contents on Twitter. You'll see them pop up there. He also founded The American Mind, a publication of the Claremont Institute. Instantly, it became very influential. I know I'm checking into it all the time. So let's chat with Matt and all figure out together what time it is. Dr. Matt Peterson, uh, great to have you on. Um, I was talking slightly before we began this interview. Um, your new podcast is an absolute must listen. And one of the things, too, is I invited you on because, yes, you have great thoughts. Yes, I loved um, the talks that you gave at the Lincoln Fellowship. But also on top of that, we're just seeing more and more people very slowly uh, figuring out what time it is. Can you just explain what that even means? I, I know I had David Rayboy on here and just, that's all we talked about for half an hour, knowing what time it is. And um, the need for nominal Republicans and conservatives to figure that out.
1: Yes, um, that's a It's a great question. It is, um, I think the topic of the hour for uh, regular good concerned Americans. Um, and you talk to the expert, right? Uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave, Dave has popularized that phrase um, and been using it for many years, uh, last at least five years. I don't know when it's the origin story, I'd like to know myself. I mean, he's not getting royalties on it, as I'm sure he told you.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I, I owe him a lot.
1: But to me, uh, what, it, what it means is uh, understanding that we're not in a normal political time understanding the seriousness of the divide in America and the depth of the corruption. So look at any, any normal political time, there's going to be corruption. There's going to be things we complain about. There's going to be people fighting over how things should be. That's just the way it is. And, and in any normal political time, people will use rhetoric that, that says, you know, this is the most important election in our lifetimes, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, to know what time it is I think is to realize that there really is a demonstrable uh, gap in America between sides who don't agree on the fundamental building blocks of civilization like what the family is what the nation is what citizenship is what men and women are uh, you know these are really basic uh, aspects and of course we we already saw that divide with abortion it's just I think people have been desensitized almost over the years, uh, but we don't agree when human life begins and ends already, uh, and and now you see uh, you know this this divide just growing and and also a, a weaponized you know federal government with a permanent state that you know doesn't seem to matter who's president uh, they're still in charge and they're increasingly white knuckling power and taking action against whoever they deem their domestic opponents so. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's really uh, one one way to put it, and I'll, I'll stop. Is when people used to argue about Trump, I, I would say, look, I understand your objections with him completely. I I was the same way initially. I didn't take his candidacy seriously, uh, but but if he's like Godzilla, right? And if you think that Washington is full of pristine white buildings uh, and norms, and you know, kind of runs fine, and then Godzilla comes and tears it all down. You think, oh, my gosh, that's Trump and he's terrible. But if you think Washington, D.C. is already full of monsters that are fighting each other and destroying everything, you think, well, maybe Godzilla could be on my side, <laughs> just like he is in the later movies. Uh, and I, I think that's that's the difference, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, I usually, whenever I fly into Washington, D.C., I always say I'm headed to Mordor, and <laughs> now I can just call it Mothra.
1: Yes. So take
0: it down. Um, Yeah, and that that was um, the big discovery for me, um, probably early 2010s, probably after Romney's lost. I was like, okay, American people um, are not getting the truth. They'll never get truth, uh, probably in my lifetime, unless they seek out those sources. Um, The entire bureaucratic state um, and people... I know some of the very proper conservatives at certain think tanks blanch when I say, oh, uh, the deep state is behind this. This is okay. I'll call it the administrative state since you're allowed to say that these days. But they're the ones making the rules. And we see this now with the FBI and the DOJ. They just did an FBI SWAT team on a guy for being a pro-life activist because they say he pushed someone outside of an abortion clinic. Um, you know, twenty-something people storm into his house at gunpoint, terrorize the family, and pull him out. And it's like, okay, this is an agency out of control. But they're just a very public-facing form of the kind of out-of-control behavior that is happening at every level of the federal government, from the EPA, IRS, you name it. Um, it's it's insane.
1: Yeah, and I I, I think one of the things i think about i think about this this problem of do you know what time it is all the time now uh, because i have you know lots of friends and 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 you do as well we're in these general circles of people and i know a lot of people who you know aren't even they're not active in a movement they're just you know, friends who live in a certain area and have a have a life and and i noticed that increasingly people do know what time it is but there's still a reluctance among a lot of good people that we sort of need to wake up uh, and I've thought a lot about how do you get people to see how bad it is? Because, you know, when I share those stories, um, say the FBI agent, a lot of people I, I shared it with said, well, I, you know, who are conservative or and religious. Uh, they said, well, I don't trust LifeSite News, you know, uh, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're good, but they, they exaggerate things and uh, you need a better source. And it's sort of you know, part of me is and I've said this to my friends so they can listen to this and we're OK. But I, I said, you know, why don't you do the work and Google it? You know, I mean, I, I've read it from a variety of sources. This is the longest one. And why is it every time these are good people, good people who will say, well, Chris Rufo is just a sensationalist. You know, it's not really that bad. And then you say, well, he's showing you what the school district says. And the next step is to say, well, most of the people in the school district don't actually believe or teach this stuff. And, you know, if that's you, if if that's you listening, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how do we get to the point where all of a sudden something turns on and you realize, wait a minute, this is really, really bad. Now, what do I do about it? And and the reason I I want everyone to know what time it is is not so that everyone freaks out or engages in, you know, doom scrolling every day and, and drinks too much watching Tucker. It's because I think we need to do something about it. But in order to get there, we have to see it. So I, I think it's natural, it's human, all of us go through some denial process, or we just want to avoid it, and the reaction is, you know, uh, well, that's one story, uh, I'm sure that they'll correct it, uh, and, and and after a while, you know, I, I I think that will wear thin, but I'm still shocked by how many people just really, really don't want to accept this.
0: Yeah, and I think they don't want that comfortable illusion of, you know, me growing up in the 1980s, that was a very uh, comfortable place to live. You know, yeah, you got the dirty, rotten, commie bastards aiming missiles at us, but outside of that, you know, it was just communities were intact, families mostly intact. Uh, You know, my mom would say, be back by dinner, and that would be 8 a.m., and I would probably be home an hour after she actually served dinner. Um, It it was just a better form of life, everybody sees that, and it's illusion we want to cling to because it's comforting. But as you say, uh, the goal isn't uh, getting blackpilled. It's like, oh, it's all a con, it's all fake, there's nothing worth fighting for. No, it's it's not gone. And that's what New Founding is about. Why don't you tell the listeners about New Founding, because I think it was a fantastic project where, like you say, instead of doomscrolling for hours and uh, bitterly bellyaching, um, let's get off our butts and do something.
1: Yeah, so... Uh you know the interesting thing with new founding is it sort of it started after the election for me in 2020 when I just thought you know I was doing good work uh, for Claremont and I I, I there's no problem with what I was doing in kind of think tank land but I realized that what's needed is just building new things and there's different ways to describe kind of our goal we're actually uh, to be brutally honest debating um, amongst ourselves what our language should, should sound like in order to get across the ultimate goal. Um, On our website right now, newfounding.com, you'll see a commercial and cultural union for the American people. Um, I think the basis of this for us is a a new kind of network that uh, is really designed to bring back high trust communities, a high trust society that we've lost, and to do that digitally online, to bring human trust and human judgment back as the backbone of a digital network Um, you know, that that is large and brings large groups of people together in a way that really is beyond anyone's control. Um, So, you know, there's that that goal, uh, which is lofty and big. Uh, But overall, what New Founding is about is is spearheading a commercial cultural movement that bands people together so they can transact with each other and they can utilize the judgment of people who are aligned. And to give just one example of it, you know now, I mean, Google sucks. If you go on Google and you try to search for things, it's all been sanitized. And if you look at Google or Amazon, they have you know billions of dollars and there's millions of billions of people on, using this stuff. And if you search for like classical children's literature, say, you kind of know that they're trying to thwart you, you know, right. like they're going to try to trans your kids. The algorithms are going to there's things that you're not even going to see that you should see. Whereas if I took, you know, 500 homeschooling families and had them index classical literature for a few months, that index, even though there's only 500 people involved, would be more valuable to millions of people who want what those people have to offer than anything that the large scale organizations provide. And so think of that principle uh, for everything, you know, for, for, uh, for products and services. We clearly need a commercial cultural movement where people say, hey, we don't do any of the woke stuff we're actually trying to reshore. We're trying to bring supply chains back. We're pro-American. We're trying to do what we can to move in that direction. Uh, what if, instead of ESG you know, and all this socialism stuff, what if one of the factors we rank business on was family and how they sold products and services that nurtured and supported the family? You know, They talk about the climate crisis. The real civilizational crisis we face is the disintegration of the American family. Uh, that's something that everyone should care about, and millions of people do. So. You know, th- this is the kind of thinking I-, I just think we need. We need to think big. We need to connect founders and investors, and we need to spearhead this movement. And it also includes new media. Uh, the last thing, which I didn't talk about, we need media that moves into this commercial cultural space and that just is much broader and bigger than what we've done in the past. And you know, everyone's gonna see like the Daily Wire is right, gonna have a billion dollar valuation, uh, and and they're just political influencers, really. I mean, they've done a few movies. So this is the direction we need to move. And I kind of feel like, excuse me, it's a race against time uh, to to build this in a collaborative way with everyone who's willing. And, uh, you know, we have some years left to do it in the commercial cultural space. But if we don't band together there, I don't know how we have the resources to even fund a party that matters or a resistance that matters.
0: That's a great point, especially since... um tech will take away the platforms to build new platforms. Um, they've already shut down, you know, build your own Twitter, they said. And then when you try, they shut it down immediately. Um, and that's what we're seeing with financial institutions now. A big wake-up call to most people in the what was once known as the free world saw them seizing bank accounts of truckers in Ottawa and said, oh, wait, they can do that? Well, yeah, they want to do it. That means they can do it, and uh, these banks are all regulated by powerful governmental entities, and if you speak against them, um, it's kind of a backdoor social credit system.
1: Yeah, I, I saw, um, who was it? Someone at the Bulwark, which is not a publication of the time it is. Great publication. Uh, was, was, they, were, they were actually complaining about the fact that Citibank is, you know, keeping this guy, this guy's complaining of keeping my son from his money. Uh, you know, I didn't know they could do this. Like, yes, yes, they can, and they will. Um, th- this kind of PayPal, right, um, getting rid of people who uh, were fighting for free speech in the UK, this is happening all over. It's it's just increasing, you know, it's begun, but it's uh, it's it's not going to stop. And, and there's a good example of where there are solutions. There are ways to create companies that, Keep you off of that grid. Um, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. And you know, there's a lot of engineers and uh, people I talk to every day in tech who are very much about getting people to that free space again with a Web 3.0 that you know is, is aligned with us, or at least is free. So that's uh, a couple things there. I mean, return.life is something some people in your audience might really like. Yeah, it's a publication about technology. It's really a, a community that has a publication. That's gonna grow and expand in its content in ways that I think people will find exciting. Uh, so return.life is is drawing together and really a community that already exists in tech, but needs to be kind of banded together and framed as a movement, uh, which it is. And that's hopeful. Uh, and then align um, is our consumer guide, which the beta is already out there public, which is adding a thousand businesses a week. Um, and that align.newfounding.com Uh, what align does is it will help everyone to rank you know uh, payments payment companies new credit card efforts it'll alert people to the new things people are doing to try to you know get off of this the old stuff and then allow people to kind of rank and give thumbs up and thumbs down uh, to the businesses that are out there and ultimately what we want to do is harness that power uh, to credential right organizations and businesses and then you know to decertify them and say stay away from these guys—they're terrible. And I, I know for myself, we all want an easy way to do that, and there is no, there's no obvious way to make it easy for us to buy right yeah. to find the safe stuff. Uh, and a lot of it's new, so it's not easy. But we have put we're putting the pieces together to get there.
0: Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity, and that sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to reduced white blood cell count, white blood cells protect our body against illness and diseases, fighting viruses, bacteria, and more? Um, I know all this because I have had severe insomnia since pretty much I was a kid, probably hitting around junior high, and I've tried all these different kinds of sleep aid. Everything over the counter doesn't work. I don't fall asleep. Sometimes it makes me drowsy the next day. Sometimes it actually wakes me up more. And it's really tough for me to find something that actually works until I discovered our product today, Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep, to recovery. And today my listeners get a special discount available for Beam Sleep product, which is called Dream Powder, and it's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It, it contains natural sleep promoting premium ingredients, triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up actually refreshed instead sort of groggy as crap. I've also by the way tried a lot of uh non-over-the-counter things that my doctor has prescribed, and they just like, sometimes they work a little, and then I'm just groggy for about 36 hours after taking one of those damn pills. Anyway, 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep immediately. All you do is you mix Beam Dream, this powder, into hot water or milk, stir, and enjoy before bedtime. And it's really simple. It's this tiny little scoop. They give you a little pouch with this product in it, pour it in some water or milk. I just use water because I'm kind of lazy and cheap. And uh, then they give you this little uh, stir thing, stir it all up, drink it down, tastes great. It, It really helps. You start feeling it immediately, just mellowing you out, not making you groggy or feel drugged or something like that. But you just kind of, it's like your heart rate slows down, you calm down I sit and read a book or something kind of chill, and then I'm ready to go to bed. Find out why Forbes and New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top business professionals and top athletes. Also, Beam just launched a brand new delicious summer flavor of Dream Powder Sea Salt Caramel. Sea Salt Caramel Dream Powder tastes just like caramel drizzle on your summer ice cream cone, but with only 15 calories. Better Sleep has never tasted better. So if you want to try Beam's new Sea Salt Caramel Dream Powder, it's only available for a limited time. So grab some before it runs out. And if you don't love Beam Dream, get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get up to 35% off when you go to shopbeam.com slash king and use the code king at checkout. That's B-E-A-M dot com slash king and use code king for up to 35% off. And thanks to Beam for sponsoring the King of Stuff podcast and helping me to fall asleep last night. One thing I wanted to ask you about, you used to live in California, now you're in Texas. And I remember, say 10 years ago, I have a lot of conservative friends in California. And uh, I would always joke with them about being quote unquote, California conservatives, not that they were wishy-washy, but that they were apocalyptic and alarmist. And (laughs) Oh my gosh, you have people You people have no idea what's coming. You, I was like, calm down. What's the big deal? I know you're in a blue state. And now I'm the one lecturing them. They don't know what time it is. So what what does your experience in California, because you guys were kind of like back in uh, the UK in World War II, they had the coast watchers who would just be out there with their binoculars kind of pre, or at least maybe just rudimentary radar uh, watching the coast for the enemy flighters coming in. And uh, I feel like the Californians were the coast watchers just saying, guys, it's here, it's here, and you better get ready. Um, Do you think that had any effect on you seeing these trends in uh, woke culture before the rest of us did?
1: Yes, absolutely. Although, um, you know, to my discredit, I was blinded for too long a time, in my opinion, uh, about California itself. I wanted to think that uh, there was a path forward within California for too long. But I think what happened in the time I was there, which is about, uh, you know, 20, 25 years on and off. Uh, so the bulk uh, of, of time that I've been in adult stage, I was there and uh, I wasn't from there originally though, but, but I'd moved around a bit. But look, it's absolutely true that so much of the support, the understanding of Trump, whatever anyone thinks of him, came from California in the moment because People like Victor Davis Hanson, people like Michael Anton, you know, people like myself. We were we we saw, uh, you know, the future because it was enacted in California, and I think more than anything, it gave you the surety of, this doesn't end, it doesn't stop. There's not necessarily, a, you know, a two-party system that goes on forever. Uh, that's not how it works actually. And once you start to capture key institutions and you have the right kind of corruption. At the elite level, so it's not even corruption anymore. It's sort of just accepted, you know. You that's how you take over a state. And so, it, it, there's different signs of this. I mean, if you're, you're questioning, if you're questioning, if you're what time it is questioning out there, I, I would say, real me this. Why is it the case that in, you know, New York and California, uh, in our era, when they're two of the largest states in the country, California the largest, forty million people or do you have a situation in which the sons of governors are the only people you can find to be qualified, <laughs> right? I mean, there's a
0: well, million people yeah.
1: in the state, and Jerry Brown, the son of a governor, who's already been governor, becomes governor <laughs> twice in his old age. Like, you couldn't find anyone else. Now, 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 that does sound like a certain regime form I've heard of where there's hereditary rule. I'll uh, <laughs> you know, uh, or, or give another example. Gavin Newsom in the new recall... He runs for New York. I'm referring to Cuomo, of course, who daddy was, um, you know, daddy was was governor before him. Uh, But but with uh, with Newsom, think about the recall. Think about the power the guy has in this state, which you can call a democracy if you want. There's a recall that actually gets some traction. It gets on the ballot. And a lot of people do hate Newsom Uh, and people on the left, like people who are Democrats, moderate Democrats, that they call themselves that. They hated Newsom, too. Uh, But, you know, I talked to a lot of these people, and everyone knew no one was giving a check to that recall campaign because they were terrified of what would happen to them if it was found out they opposed him. Now, the recall could have had a Democrat, right? Democrats could have run against Newsom. The only Democrat who ran against Newsom was this guy who kind of randomly accidentally got on there, some random, like, young dude whose platform was video games and pot or whatever. (laughs) And, And in other words, no serious candidate dared to oppose him in a state of 40 million people with one of the largest economies in the world because they know how things work. And so I, I do think that, uh, you know, the California model is terrifying and it's what gave some of us some insight. And it's also what uh, Peter Thiel asked at MatCon, a haunting question. He said, look, I hate California, basically the policies too, but that is the model of neoliberalism or whatever you call it. And it still kind of works. Even though it is a feudal state, and there's the homeless and everything else, they don't care. And so, what is our alternative model to it? Are we just building a California in Florida and Texas? That's a haunting question. But, but I think um, I think you're right about the California thing.
0: Yeah, and uh, as Mark Andreessen famously wrote, "It's time to build." Um, you're out there building, which is great to see. NatCon um, was pretty great because every year it gets quite a bit bigger. And it seems like the only interesting intellectual discussions going on right now are in this space, talking about, you know, what does conservatism even mean? What's going on? Um, The people that I used to – that were my go-to, you know, policy centers, policy shops and writers, they're just talking about the same old thing. You know, if we lower the marginal tax rate by 0.25 percent, it will boost our exports by – 0.87%. And this is why this is important. None of this is getting through Congress unless it's, you know, conned into an omnibus bill somewhere. Um, But they're not talking about the root issues going on. I I think another thing that I've heard you talk about as well is understanding the power of small and James Polos as well, small, actual human communities Um, over the past few years, um, I've been able to connect with people at my church. I'm Orthodox, and so they're very into socializing after the event and having groups meet and things like that. And just building these actual human networks is so crucial uh, for people, especially young men who are so alienated these days, Um, building uh, face-to-face friendships, allies, brothers, and getting to know each other and being able to rely on each other instead of just tiny little Twitter profile pics of people who might not even be who they're representing.
1: Yes. I'm so glad you bring that up. I mean, it really is something that we have to go back to again and again and again. And, and, and it really is the premise of new founding. You know, I mean, we, we both had similar ideas and, and uh, when we, my co-founder and I came together to do this, I moved to Texas to do it. Uh, Nate Fisher is his name, but you know his his vision. He was thinking a lot about uh, credit and trust, mm-hmm. and the kind of investment work he had been doing, and uh, you know elite networks and just how corrupt things were. And what it, what what occurred to him is I think uh, something similar, and the visions go together. I mean, the idea is that we don't have a high trust society anymore, right? I mean, it's very hard to find those communities. People go to work. Uh, and they can't really be who they are, right? They're just used to censoring themselves because of this divide. some people know they'll be fired if people found out what they believe,, uh, which is, you know we're used to that in America now. it's awful. And then you got you know schools being corrupt, those institutions. And so what that does is for a lot of people, I mean, it's it's still you know forty percent plus of the country, and there's forty percent plus on the other side. These, there's no way to get together like that. So, that is the premise of new founding actually is that we need a new kind of network that we where we digitally amplify human judgment and a high trust community again. And so, there's actually value to it. So, so, so that we just use digital technology to serve humans and human interaction, not the other way around. And you know, that means that you want to kind of use digital technology to help foster the kind of relationships you have exactly within your church. Because those, the thing about recommendations like curation and credentialing, if you know someone in your church community that recommends, uh, you know, a babysitter or uh, someone to fix a part of your house or whatever, that matters a lot, right? Right. Uh, and, and, And having those trusted sources where the community itself is aligned generally, and then can kind of police itself a little bit, that that's what that's what any, like that's what the 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 golf club does, you know? I mean that's what that's what all the kind of normal, smaller communities that we we all should be part of and we should be part of building, do. And what we need to do is harness the digital for that purpose. Like we need to the basis of the algorithm shouldn't be woke doctrines, elites far away, and algorithms we can't see. It should be based on people who are verified, who make judgments over time, and those judgments rise or fall, uh, you know, depending on how they provide value to the community. And so and and and, and that's the kind of thing that, that that we need to foster. And then for the for the uh you know commercial cultural movement generally, you know, we need our own trade shows. We need our own uh we need our new associations. We need our new guilds. Uh, and I, I have um I have I know that the demand is there. I have hope there. I know People need this. They want this, and it's really an organizational problem. In the midst of some persecution that's worsening, is how do we how do we organize that for ourselves and basically rebuild the city on the hill in America?
0: I, I think another thing too is all fantastic. One thing you see uh, kind of repeatedly: um, we're always concerned about the ruling class, this all-powerful administrative state working behind the scenes. But every once in a while, you get glimpses. That this whole ruling class is just white knuckling it and terrified for their lives. I I know I read uh, Martin Gurry's book, The Revolt of the Public, showing this happening all over the world over the past decade plus, let's say. And, you know, as much as uh, New York City newsrooms complained about Trump and this is the breaking of the norms, before him, you had Brexit. Uh, after him, just in the past couple weeks, you've had conservatives in Sweden uh, taking control of the government. You had um, the same happen in Italy over the weekend. Immediately in both cases, oh, this is fascism. This is Mussolini 2.0. No, it's politicians talking about things that people are uh, feel in their heart of hearts and not just uh, pointing out Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I, I, I do think that um, there is a lot of fear there. Uh, The problem is they're still in charge of everything. And and that fear is leading them to uh, one hopes overreact, but maybe it's completely rational for them to do what they're doing now. I I see this also in the, um, you know, it's a controversial topic, I know, but mileage may vary. But I see this also in the willingness to uh, push Russia on Ukraine. Um, You know, even if you think that's the right policy— uh, I, I, I really question the way in which these dangerous idiots, uh, in my opinion, are just callous about the danger. And, and there, there's like this uh, this manic animus, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, fever that's gripped these people. And they're they're just pushing everything to 11 in all directions uh, against domestic dissent here. And they're moving too fast, too quickly. One hopes. So I do think there's a there's a nervousness there. And the problem is it's a bad spiral, right? Because it, it, let's assume there, there it, is, it is fearful, like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, we're gonna lose in the elections. So we're gonna call our opponents all fascists and Nazis <laughs> for winning the election. Uh, okay, uh, but the reaction is, is continually upping the volume and, and increasing and pushing them to more and more extreme measures. And in that case, OK, maybe they push too hard and it snaps, and we can you know, fight back because of that or get some quick victories because of it. Uh, but we, but then again, we would need people to wake up on our side. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, we're going to find out, right? And so my thing is, I know in the meantime, we need to build this commercial cultural movement and organize uh, with structures that allow us to take billions of dollars off the table from woke capital and have an alternative ecosystem, an economy within an economy, a culture within a culture, because then no matter what happens, we're just in a better position.
0: Yeah, completely. We need to be um, quick to identify um, any kind of uh, openings in the armor, and then have the organizations like you're building to jump in the second we see it. I, I think that our kind of the nominally Republican chattering class now would be like, oh, thank God, this is so wonderful, Joe Biden, for uh, suspending the mask mandate for two more weeks. That's wonderful. It's like, no, uh, that's not enough. We, we need to upend this sucker and uh, make some serious structural changes.
1: Yeah, I, and that's the structural changes is where, I mean, that, that's it's so needed, it's so hard to think through or even try to game out how that works. Things are just going to get messier. I mean, there's no way around it. They're going to get messier. They're going to get worse before they get better, if they get better. And uh, the only way out is through, though. Like, we have to go through this process. So yeah. one thing I think uh, politically is the more that people realize they should be free to live a good life, they should be free to forge together uh, an American way of life in the 21st century that's worthy of the name, that's more human, and, and that means like they should, you know, if, if they're struggling with a job with a big woke corporation, find another one. Like it's time to move, you know, move geographically, move digitally, find those. And if we unify like that and then start creating structures that actually entities that actually create revenue uh, that are alternatives to the kind of the woke Borg, that all of a sudden will influence the political in profound ways and more powerful ways often than direct political action. What do I mean by that? I mean by that you know these politicians like the on the right the ones everyone complains about who are the moderates just put their finger in the air and you know they're looking for honor and protection and sort of they're looking at the praise and blame they receive and it's hard for them to say anything that actually leads us forward that's actually brave that actually addresses the problem unless you change the incentive structure and if the incentive structure all of a sudden is and this is what DC Republicans often don't realize now you're all going to get eaten anyway like you're not gonna, <laughs> right. you know they're not going to be nice to you because you are moderate on this issue. You're going to the gulag too. yeah and, and and some of them are like, maybe you're right, but what else I don't have another ecosystem in which to operate, I need to be nice to New York Times. Whereas what if we can create an alternative ecosystem, then all of a sudden they go, well, if I do say these things, I'll be rewarded and there'll be a profile of me in this magazine. And you know I mean, th- that's the kind of thing that will actually turn a lot of pragmatic or moderate people. Where they realize, okay, this is a this is a you know zero sum game. Now I have some I have a, a space land. Given it another really practical example is, and a lot of people on our side know that we need to have this. When our side when our people get canceled, you know they need to have surety that they're going to end up with a job, right? Um, that we, we need to have we need to have a network that gives them a job. Someone on the left goes out as a whistleblower and gets canceled. They know they're going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year somewhere. You right. know, uh, so. So having that alternative system of praise and blame and actual, uh, you know, entities that are making money in a kind of different uh, a culture within a culture, I think that then changes the political dynamic in pretty profound ways. And, and, uh, you can even see some examples of it now. It could even change it fairly quickly. And that's pretty much why I'm doing what I'm doing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, Yeah, we could uh, talk about this for hours. I'd love to have you (laughs) back on again. But until then, everybody, check out uh, Matt's fantastic podcast, pretty recent. Where can people find you um, online and beyond?
1: Well, if they go to Twitter at docmjp, D-O-C-M-J-P, in my bio, you can pretty much find all the stuff. The Matthew Peterson podcast is on Apple and Spotify and Podbean. Uh, and newfounding.com is the place to go to look at our efforts and uh, and sign up. I mean, we're looking for early adopters who, who want to be founders who are interested in investing opportunities or getting their products and services in front of people or just regular citizens who want to be first on the ground. So go to newfounding.com. Uh, you can contact us there, ask questions, sign up and uh, and join the movement.
0: Fantastic, uh, Matthew Peterson. Thanks so much for being on, and uh, really appreciate it. We'll include links in the show notes. Everybody listening from that podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks, John. It's been great, great to have you on. It was, it's been it was great to uh, to hang out at the Lincoln Fellowship. How yeah, it?
0: definitely. It was a fantastic time. We need to do it again. I'm going to go for uh, a, a second fellowship next year, just so I can hang out and uh, <laughs> with smart people at Newport <laughs> Beach for a while.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: As you know, I'm a bit of a hipster, you can say, and I'm really into music and growing up for some reason, well, my dad played guitar and then at least half of all my friends have always been musicians. So especially when I got older, they would need new equipment or just wanted to drool over the latest guitar pedal or something. We went into some pretty sketchy places. Um, Yeah, a lot of pawn shops, uh, a lot of digging around a lot of being sold things that did not crack out the way that they thought it would. Thankfully, there's a new way you can buy these items and it's called American Musical Supply. They are located at AmericanMusical.com. American Musical Supply stocks the latest and greatest gear from today's top brands, everything for a beginner to a seasoned professional. And this doesn't only mean music and instruments, folks. It's everything for the podcaster, home recording enthusiast, guitarists, drummers, vocalists, DJs, and much more. Even bassists, if you can believe it. And yeah, I've dabbled a bit in bass and drums and all those kind of things. American Musical Supply has the best payment plans. They approve more people and don't require you to open up a new credit card. You can just use one of your existing ones if you want. Payment plans vary between four and eighteen months. You're pre approved on their four and six month payment plans with no credit check, which is really nice, especially because um your equipment fails right when you need it usually. Um, and that applies to musicians as well as podcasters like yourself. It's always five minutes before air and you need help ASAP. An American musical supply has your back on that. They have four warehouses across the U S so that way they can provide fast and free shipping wherever you're located. They keep the best top gear in each warehouse and can get to most of the U S in one or two days. That is crucial by the way. Uh, I'll often buy something offline and find out the company's based in Maine, and then I watch it slowly crawl across the country for 10 days straight, uh, checking out UPS tracking or something. Um, American Musical Supply also has 30 years, more than 30 years of award-winning customer service. So right now, go to AmericanMusical.com and use the King of Stuff promo code KING to receive $20 off your next purchase over 100 bucks. Once again, AmericanMusical.com. Use our promo code KING to receive 20 bucks off your next purchase of over 100. Um, good luck limiting yourself to 100, by the way. Just cruise around the site, drool a little bit, just like I used to do with my little uh, musician buddies when I was in college and uh, tragically up to the present day. Thanks very much to American Musical Supply for sponsoring the King of Stuff podcast. Check them out, people. I've been having so many people that I met at this Lincoln Fellowship. You guys are probably sick of me talking about the Lincoln Fellowship, but I like the Lincoln Fellowship, so I'm going to keep talking about it, okay? Uh, Great to have uh, Matthew Peterson on. Uh, He's actually out there doing the work, and one thing I've heard from a lot of people when they kind of get awakened, I'm not going to say woke, when they become awakened to what is going on in the country and just, I don't know, the endless culture wars and the fighting on Twitter and this, that, and the other... Some people just check out and say, I'm done. I'm just living my life. I got, I don't know, 30, 40 years left um, on this planet. And I'm just going to chill out, try to make some money, have a good time. Um, and there's other people who, you know, they call it getting black pilled, who are just gloomy about it and everything's terrible and everything stinks and it's never going to get better. No do what Matt Peterson is doing, get out there and work for it. Um, nothing is lost, nothing is over. Um, every generation has to fight for these basic principles of human liberty, and humanity itself now is increasingly in the crosshairs. It's You, you see a lot of these um, edicts coming out of big companies, the government, uh, various uh, world organizations, WEF I'm thinking of, and they almost look at humans as a a slight inconvenience that need to be managed or shuffled off the stage. Uh, no, most people don't feel that way. And there is a big, this kind of goes beyond politics. I, I said this before to a lot of people. I live in like a working class neighborhood. You know, we're a big jumbled mess of different races, different income levels, different groups of people. We get along great. Go to the grocery store. Everybody gets along great. Go to church. Everybody's all different. Get along great. Great most of the American people aren't down for this, uh, screaming activists. Let's divide everybody into sub, sub, sub groups. Most people just, they're pretty chill. They're pretty cool about things. And, um, yeah, so get out there, meet your neighbors. I frankly have to do better about that because I'm such a flippant introvert, but look, I'm trying a little bit, at least, uh, in broader communities. So, um, there is a lot of hope and things like new founding and, uh, several other initiatives going on, um, provide great insight into how we can do that, kind of reclaim our humanity, reclaim our country. And it goes far beyond partisan politics and voting for the right people. Um, It's just kind of a mentality where, no, the government um, isn't really designed anymore to take care of us. Uh, We need to take care of ourselves, take care of our neighbors, and uh, make the country, if we're all doing that in our own little platoons, uh, the entire country is going to improve. So it is in our hands. A great reminder for Matt about all that. Now, I kind of dipped into the subject on the podcast, but uh, this has been the thing uh, bugging me over the weekend. You have a new Italian PM who is elected in a landslide, if you consider Italy's crazy election system. I believe they have 347 parties. They're all at each other's throats, and uh, they break up and reform into new coalitions every couple of years. It seems like very hard to keep track of everything. However, Giorgia Maloney... She was elected, but the big problem with her is she is right of center, which means she's the next Mussolini. Every kind of, uh, certainly American press, but most international English-speaking press outlets just called her a straight-up fascist. She's Mussolini 2.0. I'm trying to remind people that um, they did the exact same thing for any Italian PM who uh, comes to power who might not be a complete committed leftist, Silvio Berlusconi. They compared him to Mussolini. Mario Draghi, the kind of outgoing, who resigned, outgoing prime minister, they called him Mussolini 2.02. And he's just this dull, mild-mannered technocrat who people got sick of because he was just too uh, mellow and chill about actually fixing some problems going on. But uh, you have this fantastic lady. Uh, You can see her speeches. I wrote about it yesterday as well. And she's talking about the big issues. She's talking about, you know, look, we are not... um, we are not uh, made as human beings to just be consumers, to be controlled uh, by huge corporations, by financial speculation, all these things. And uh, why are they trying to strip away? Why are they trying to add identities as markers to every single human being except people who happen to be mothers, fathers, family, people who love their country, patriots, uh, people who are Christian or Jewish? Um yeah, they, they don't like those identities. They're trying to stamp them out. Instead, they have these new invented identities, 7,200 uh, different uh, gender assignations that you need to um, apply yourself to. Um, she's just talking about the big issues. It's not really about nuts and bolts politics as much as these big issues that everybody sees going on around us. And uh, the press is um, not down with that. Uh, you actually had somebody who appeared, I think, on CNN uh, one of her strong detractors, a leftist in Italian politics, very prominent. And he was on CNN and he's like, you people are crazy calling her a fascist. I don't like anything she stands for. She's not a fascist. She's a lady. She has a different opinion. That's it. And uh, the press did similar things when um, a coalition of conservatives in Sweden took over their government in the election. election. Uh, they did that, I think, two weekends ago. Maybe it was during the week. Um, But yeah, they just, they want a squeaker, but it's the first time you've had a conservative government for quite a while in Sweden. There's a lot of people who are really into uh, supporting the nation, looking at things differently when it comes to immigration and so forth. Uh, They call that the same thing. Ah, they're fascists. They probably compared them to Hitler because uh, they're not in Southern uh, Europe. They're in Northern Europe. Um, Just like every single Republican is called a fascist, Hitler in waiting. Uh, We've seen that with every Republican. You know, they thought Liz Cheney was a fascist until a couple years ago. You know, no one is safe from this stuff. But it kind of drives me insane because, especially in the U.S., the media is so provincial. They pretend like they're sophisticates and cosmopolitans, and they understand the world better than those dirty little minions in flyover country. But they are so provincial. They think every election that goes on in Italy, in Sweden, in the Philippines, in Ulaanbaatar, they think all of them are related to Washington D.C. politics. Oh, those people must be voting about Black Lives Matter. Not, not a huge constituency of African Mongolians in Ulaanbaatar, if memory serves. Um, I actually haven't, for some reason, I have not summered in Ulaanbaatar, um, but they just think everything is a proxy battle for whatever is the news in Manhattan newsrooms and the Beltway this week's. It drives me crazy. And you see this over and over and over. Uh, who's Victor Orban? Oh, he's Hungary's version of Trump. Bolsonaro? Oh, he's Brazil's version of Trump. I'm sure Maloney will be Italy's version of Trump. No, they have nothing to do with Donald Trump. They are populist. They might share a few commonalities, but they are people trying to represent um, th- what they think is best for their country. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it isn't good but everything's not about Trump and everything isn't about um, the gay rights protests that happened in New York City last week. They're talking about their own issues. They have their own concerns in Italy. um, Why why are people uh, promoting family in Hungary? Because the Soviets were in charge there for a very long time. Birth rates absolutely plummeted. The entire goal of the new Soviet man was to sever any connection to tradition, to family, to faith, To the entire arc of history, because they're like, nope, it's year zero. We are creating new Soviet man, and uh, we're going to completely cut you off from any identity other than the one we give you in communism. Sound familiar? By the way, yeah. So maybe Viktor Orbán will be more focused on pro-family policies. Same things going on in Italy. You have this huge migrant crisis going on with people just floating across the sea in the Mediterranean. We're not talking the Pacific ocean here. They can just come right up from Africa, land in Italy and the UA, the EU says, Oh, keep them, keep them. They are full citizens. And Italians are saying, wait a minute. (laughs) We're the ones paying taxes. This is our country. Yeah. We joined the EU, but you can't just tell us what to do. And so they're going to talk about different issues in Italy and in Sweden. than we talk about here, uh, America is not the center of the world as much as some people on the left want to make it. The same people who think American values should be equal, equally shared everywhere on Earth, they're the same ones who complain about American empire. Um, the WOKE Project is very imperialistic. It's, it is what advises U.S. military officials to fly the pride flag over the U.S. embassy in Kabul. How many friends did that make? They also hung up Black Lives Matter banners in Malaysia. Okay, do you think the Malaysian people really care about what's going on with the oppression of African Americans? No, they have their own problems. But our betters in DC thinks that is a very powerful message that will win people over to show how kind we are when they don't even know what the hell we're talking about half the time. But the new Italian PM Maloney gave a speech that It really catapulted her to stardom, given in 2019, been floating around Twitter, and uh, I ended up watching the whole thing. Rudely, she gives it in Italian, so you have to read subtitles. It's really inconvenient of her to do so, Um, but she quotes G.K. Chesterton, a personal favorite of mine, and here is the gist of it. Basically, it's saying modernity is confusing everything and is redefining everything and is devoid of common sense. So, here was her quote of Chesterton. Fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. We shall be left defending not only the incredible virtues and sanities of human life, but something more incredible still. This huge, impossible universe which stares us in the face. And we see ourselves doing that today. Men cannot get pregnant. What? How dare you? That's rude. That's rude. No, that's two and two make four. That's all I'm saying. You, you know, it, it's just crazy that you need to defend basic common sense, agreements that humanity has shared for millennia now all of a sudden has been overturned, and if you even hesitate in overturning those things, you're viewed as some kind of bizarre backward freak. I don't know much about our politics. Believe it or not, I am not a, a scholar, an Italian internal politics, but uh, hope she does well. Her speeches are pretty awesome. Uh, Italy is a crazy country to govern. And um, if you look at their history, since they united, uh, kind of gained independence from meddling from other people, uh, united together, it's, you know, they're famous for every year and a half, there's another prime minister, then three months later, that person resigns and a new one takes over. It's a very turbulent environment because Italy is a pretty recent creation. It used to be a bunch of different regions throughout the Italian peninsula that didn't agree with each other and often didn't like each other and had different traditions and different takes on things and different kinds of politics. You think of the great cities like Florence or Milan, Pisa, Genoa. You had all these different little power centers that were run as kind of city-states, and they would control their little province of Italy, and they didn't even speak the same language until early this century they had to come up with an agreed to official Italian language because a Sicilian couldn't understand someone from the Piedmont the Piedmont the stitching together of Italy um yeah it's it's not been around for a long time and i think a lot of people don't realize that fact but hopefully their new pm will make a good go of it wish her the best in that oh uh, by the way this podcast I was not supposed to be doing an interview on this podcast. I was supposed to be playing a live podcast recording about school choice, which took place in Columbus, Ohio. They ended up canceling that. I think the day I posted the last podcast later that day, they say, oh, we got to cancel. There's a scheduling issue. We need to cancel that. So I canceled all my tickets to Columbus, Ohio. And um, I don't know if this thing is postponed, if we're going to do something later. We will see. But last week I said, hey, I'll be uh, broadcasting that school choice discussion. That's why it's not happening this week. My best guess is they just could not fill the capacity. There were fire codes violated, just the mobs of people. Local police were very concerned because first you got the paparazzi whenever I fly into the Midwest anywhere. And then just the crowd control of people trying to get in, those who didn't uh, pay for a ticket and stuff. You know, it. We all have our cross to bear, and mine are mobs of adoring fans chasing me everywhere I go, or something like that. So anyway, that's why that's not going on. I will keep you posted if that is rescheduled. We aren't sure exactly what's happening with that, but uh, I was not in the beautiful Midwest last week. There was something concerning that happened yesterday. I'm recording this on Tuesday, so it happened Monday. Reports are coming out of German media and other media in, um, I would say, kind of Eastern Europe, Central Europe that the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 pipelines supplying natural gas from Russia to Germany, that both those pipelines were damaged. It was quickly determined that this isn't something natural. This had to have been an attack. This doesn't make any sense. There are actually holes popped into the pipeline, and they're leaking into the Baltic Sea, basically. And it's natural gas, so it's not like you have the massive oil slick kind of thing, but it ain't good. Um, And people are like, what the heck is going on? Did Russia do this? Well, all they need to do is shut off the pipe. They don't need to, you know, go into deep sea explosives. Then people started asking, well, wait, who's even capable of doing this? Um, There have been sightings. There's a lot of people reporting from Sweden, from Denmark, places like that saying, we've actually seen a lot of uh, aerial activity by the U.S. military. And they were complaining about that a few days before this news broke about uh, Seahawks flying around the area, uh, just kind of odd behavior. It's like, are they doing war games? Are they doing operations? So we don't know if the U.S. did this. Um, I'm trying to think of any other country that has this kind of capabilities. Russians don't. They are terrible at undersea operations. U.S. is very, very good at that. Um, I I used to serve on a U.S. submarine. Um, there are a few tricks up one's sleeves when it comes to underwater operations and Navy SEALs. And the like. So we don't know exactly what's going on, but I thought it, thought it was very interesting that a Polish ambassador to the EU glowingly thanked the US for conducting this. He's actually married to Ann Applebaum, a very noted, um, well wired into the political scene writer in the US. So I don't know. The whole thing is weird. Uh, pay attention to that story because it's going to keep uh, bubbling up much like the natural gas on the pipeline is in the Baltic Sea. Why we would do something like that? It it really seems like we're the only country who would have the ability to do something. Like this, but why? What what advantage does this present to anyone? I don't get it, especially looking at the energy crisis uh, going on. It's just going to brutalize Germany. They're already uh, closing down industries because they don't have enough fuel to operate their factories. And that will get much, much worse in the very near future. So it's going to be a really tough uh, winter for Europe, especially the colder climes like where Germany is. So anyway, this is a very recently breaking story. It involves various nations' intelligence. So we don't know exactly what is going on, but um, it's a very weird situation going on in the depths of the Baltic Sea. Um, I doubt my beloved Finnish nation um, has conducted this, as you know, I am a Finnish American and I I just don't see any advantage to any of the other countries around here doing it but frankly I don't see any advantage to America doing this either. Russia already pretty much shut it off. Uh Germany could shut it off from there and why you would want to damage the pipe and ruin it for the I don't know. Very strange story. Well in addition to possibly hitting um a Russia to Germany pipeline Um, The U.S. brutally attacked a defenseless asteroid yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, The project is called DART Um, NASA. I think the European Space Agency was involved somehow, too. But what they did is they saw this poor little asteroid floating out in space and saying, we got to blast that sucker. So what they did is they shot a rocket, which just directly targeted like a kamikaze fighter. You could see the video of it closing in. The asteroid is really ugly, by the way. I do not recommend moving to an asteroid. Future listeners, I'm sure this will be archived in the Library of Congress. Don't move to an asteroid. It's ugly as heck. But um, yeah, this rocket flew straight in to this uh, asteroid and blew up. And what they wanted to see is, can we change the trajectory of an asteroid? Like if one of these big suckers gets too close to Earth, can we do it? Apparently, it was a smashing success. All the video showed was crashing into an asteroid. And then everybody's like, woohoo, we did it. it's like, okay, but did it change its trajectory and stuff? But yeah, um, one of these asteroids is going to end up being a spaceship, an alien spaceship, and they're going to attack us and destroy us. So keep your head on a swivel, NASA. Uh, Don't don't go... uh, don't start none, won't be none, okay? Got to be careful out there with this stuff. And to our listeners um, in Florida, uh, take cover. Hurricane Ian is uh, bearing in. It hit Puerto Rico, and then it uh, whooped up on Cuba as well. But it looks like it is due to hit, right now, tracking often changes. So uh, I don't have a little uh, chart with a Sharpie here where I can change it on the fly. But what the prediction is now is 10 p.m. Wednesday, Florida time, Is about the time it will make landfall. It's supposed to uh, die down to a Cat 1 after it moves inland. But um, yeah, check your uh, local weather reports, everybody. Stay frosty out there. Uh, A very disturbing part about it is the press on Tuesday morning seem almost gleeful that a hurricane is going to hit Florida because it'll be a tough test for Governor Ron DeSantis. These people are just gross and sick. Um, Everybody stay safe. That, that's kind of the weird thing about Florida is how flipping flat it is. Uh, in the Navy, I lived there for a year. I had a school there, which no longer exists. They retired it after I graduated because they weren't going to find anybody better anyway. Um, flat as a pancake, that state. You know, I think the highest elevation is probably like, I don't know, 12 feet. And anytime there's a divot in the ground, a lake forms there, and then a gator moves in the next week. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of uh, mountains to obstruct the path of this hurricane. So hopefully everybody's safe there. Hopefully this sucker will die down. We don't know what's going to happen, but uh, please be careful. Anybody in Florida, one of the big positives of living in Arizona, no real natural disasters happen here. We're not earthquake-prone. We're not tornado prone. Every once in a while, one will form and then kind of disappear, usually before hitting the ground. I've lived here most of my life. I think I remember three tornadoes registered ever here, and they didn't really do damage because it's just uh, not the environment for that. The only thing that we get here in Arizona is the Haboob, which you may have heard of, which is the best name natural disaster. It's just basically, that's a fancy way of saying, dust storm. Uh, they can get. Uh, pretty rough out here but it just makes things dusty it means you get an extra trip to the car wash uh we did not have we had a few of them this summer but they weren't the uh hardcore things but again it's just like blows things around and makes everything dusty so you know not a life or death kind of situation but everybody stay safe out there in florida well since we had the big election in italy the song of the week hails from passado italy it is the small harbor town on the Adriatic coast, and it's kind of the only, I don't know, cool alt band I know of from Italy operating right now. I'm sure there's other great ones, but this one is called Soviet Soviet, and they're epic. But maybe it's the Italian connection, but they're huge in Latin America, of all places, and not enough people listen to them here in the States, in Estados Unidos. So uh, check out Soviet Soviet. This song is from their Ghost EP, released two years ago, I think. Two or three years ago and it's called Change with the Sun. Such a cool band. Um, Check them out on Spotify. We have a whole Spotify playlist for the king of stuff. So check that out. By the way, we're also available on Spotify now. So you can get this fine podcast on Spotify. I think we've been on there before, but it's been a little spotty, but we got some new agreement with Spotify. And that is it for the podcast. Thanks again to Matthew Peterson. Thanks to Beam and to American Music Supply for sponsoring this fine show. Got links to both of them and link to all Matthew Peterson stuff in the show notes. So check that out. Check out Ricochet as well. That is the fine site where I am editor-in-chief. Dread Sovereign was the title I tried to get. They refused to give that to me. But uh, check it out. Lots of good writing. Heck, I write there. But more importantly, our awesome Ricochet members write all sorts of great stuff. Talking about different stuff, too. It's not just politics. It'll be about anything going on in their lives, anything going on in their neck of the woods. So you get to read stuff going on in America and not just, I don't know, the Beltway, New York City, L.A., the main media centers but thank you for being here uh, remember to rate rank review this show send it to a friend send it to family and uh beg them to join um, really helps if you uh, review us give us five stars helps new people discover it and i'll talk to you next week ricochet